Hi, I'm Jeff Albert, Director of the School of Music Industry at Loyola University in New Orleans, and you're listening to our forum series, a weekly meeting between our students, music executives, recording artists, faculty, and alumni, where we spotlight industry professionals and discuss important issues shaping the business. On this week's forum, we talk about freelance festival and tour production with Hannah Craker, a recent graduate of our program. One of our goals for, for sort of this sequence of forums this year um, is to help y'all get work and get some sense of what work is like and find a way to see yourself into the future. So um, in that light, we have a, a member of the class of 2018, uh, so she's only been gone a couple of years, uh, but has been busy freelancing, and, uh, and we're going to cover a, a variety of interesting topics today. So please welcome Hannah Craker. I imagine, do, do any of y'all remember Hannah? Some of y'all know Hannah. She, uh, she started working while she was still in school quite a bit. So you've been out for two and a half years. I guess you finished. She was a little overachiever. She finished in seven semesters. So what are your roles on the tours? What kind of jobs have you done on the tours? I basically, the, the main thing is really just assisting the tour manager and doing whatever they need. So um, we use Master Tour, which is just basically the tour book, and it has everything that we're going to do all day. Um, and so I would monitor that. And if I'm with a support band, I'll look at the um, headliners master tour, and then I'll update ours so that it matches that. And then um, I'll go and check out the venue. We're going to see where we're going to put all the cases before we set the stage, how it's going to work, which risers we're going to use. And then um, I just work with the tour manager and the production manager to make sure that all of that gets done. So what size venues are we talking about? Um, I guess it depends on the band. We've played up to 5,000 cap rooms, I think. Um, to, yeah. So like big theaters, mm-hmm. not necessarily arenas, but, but big theater spaces. Yeah, big yeah. theaters and a lot of outdoor amphitheaters. Um, a lot of the shows that we do in August are the summer series. Right. So. so on the merchandise side, like how... What do you add to it when you're also doing merch? Or if you're only doing merch, then what's, what's your responsibility there? My responsibility there is uh, keeping up with all the inventory, ordering everything, um, looking at the space. And sometimes it's awesome, and they'll give me like five tables and linens, and they'll come with a merch rack that I can hang everything on, and all my hangers and everything I need. And sometimes they'll be like, here is the skinniest table you've ever seen in the world, and there's two feet behind it can you fit your eight boxes of shirts and CDs and everything back there? And so it's like a kind of a game of Tetris for how I can fit everything in there, how I can display it. I've gotten weird strings and rubber bands and tied hangers to that and strung it across a room. I understand there's a popular local touring act that you've quadrupled their merch sales. For all of us trying to figure out how to sell more merch at our gigs, what's the trick? I, it's like it's one trick, but well, I mean, there's a there's a few tricks. My favorite one, and it it works probably seventy five percent of the time, is just talking to people until they're like, "Fine, I'll buy something." Um, 
No, really, it looks great on you, yeah. really. No, 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 you're not gonna zip it up all the way. It's fine, it fits. Um, but <laughs> That one worked on me. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's also when people come up and they're like, oh, well, I don't know, I normally wear a 3X or do you have this size? And saying, oh no, I have like, here's this one or like this is our best seller. Oh, you don't like that size, that one doesn't fit right. Just continuing to give them something until they're like, no, none of this will work. Um, that works better when you have options, when it's not like I have CDs and stickers, and that's my whole merch table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and one of the tough things is like, when a lot of the time I'll go out there and I'll sell the other, one of the other bands that's with us will all ask me to be their seller on the tour. And I won't know anything about their music at all on like the, for like the first few days. And so people will ask me questions and so I'll have to use like, context clues and like get all of the information I can from like their sound check or whatever and be like, okay, that's this song, that's this song. Or I'll have to like pull it up on Spotify and listen to everything really fast and um, try to help people out. But it, I mean, sometimes it gets down to the point where I'm like, well, this one's signed, so I think you'd like this better, you know? It sounds better because they signed it. Mm -hmm, yeah, absolutely, right. yeah. So you'd spend some of the time of the year on the road and then what sort of gigs are you doing around festivals in your festival season? Mostly I work in artist relations, um, and that can be anything from transportation, just golf cart driving and getting people from one stage to the other, um, managing the hospitality, making sure everybody has everything that they've submitted on their riders, um, going and doing the shop for that even, which can be like an eight-hour shopping day, and sometimes we're up on a mountain, and they, don't, they just don't have that, they don't have that kind of hummus there. And, we just have to call them and be like, I'm sorry, what can we do instead? Um, but So you get like riders that are specifically not Sabra, like I need the hummus, but not that one. Yeah. Or specifically that one. Yeah. It'll be anything or like, what did I, there was one time I had a kind of rum that I, we kept going to liquor stores and they didn't have it. And it was probably like the third or fourth liquor store we went to. And I was like, do you have this kind of rum? And the guy gave me a really, really weird look. And... I kind of was like, what's that? And he goes, that rum is illegal in this country. It was like some kind of Cuban rum or whatever. So <laughs> we had to skip that one. But Well, it's a good thing he gave you the heads up. Mm -hmm. Who knew that your degree in music industry could lead to liquor store hopping looking for, you know, illicit rum? Right. So do you, is most of your festival stuff around here? It sounds like if it's on a mountain, it's not around here. Like how much yeah. traveling do you do around the festival stuff? A lot. Um, uh, most of the time, um, a lot of them are in New York that I do. Like, uh, I've done um, GovBall, and then I would do Mountain Jam and Taste of Country. And then from there, I would fly to Electric Forest. So that's pretty much just like the whole month of June I would be out. Um, but it also depends. Sometimes I've gotten calls while I'm at a festival to do a festival the following week. Um, and I'll like get my contract and my flight booked and then I'll fly out the next morning. Um, but yeah. So the, that's one of the joys of freelancing is you never know where the next thing's coming. So it sounds like you're staying really busy, but this is all largely freelance work. How, what were the connections that led to these jobs? How much of these are from people you met in school or from you get one job that turns into another job sort of Describe that network to me that has led to 
sort of you being pretty consistently employed? Well, it, I mean, it definitely started with making connections here. Um, started by volunteering at every festival or event I could get my hands on. Um, and when I worked, um, there was a festival called of Bayou Bear Creek that happened at Mardi Gras World a few years ago. And after that, um, it was put on by the company that does all the Suwanee festivals. And so they said, we can't really afford to pay you, but if you want to come here, we'll give you food and lodging. And so I went and did Huluween. And then after that, um, it just kind of kept rolling and I got a Buku internship where they also gave me a job. And then I got Jazz Fest from that. And then just more and more things would pop up. And, it's and all then done. the Suwannee people started paying you, hopefully. Yeah, then they yeah. were like, we can pay you for this. And I was like, that would be awesome. And so. Was it sort of one person that turned into these things? Like the touring stuff, how did that, how did that come about? Um, that uh, came about because um, after doing Day for Night, which was kind of through Buku connections, I guess it was a lot of the same people, because um, now, well, it was turning, ah, that's a whole thing. It was kind of an AEG festival, and so it was a lot of the Winter Circle people that went there. Um, but so after that, I met um, Chrissy Gross, who used to tour Manage Galactic, and so uh, she brought me out with them. And um, that was on, a, on the Trombone Shorty Voodoo Throwdown tour. And so then I started working with some of those bands that were on that tour. Um, yeah. So how much time do you spend right now trying to get the next gig to happen? Like you go to work, how much energy do you have to put into making sure there's more work as opposed to like people just calling you? Um, I don't, that's kind of hard to answer. I guess I just kind of always work like my employer is watching me. Like whoever is there, like if I want to get a, I kind of go into that, like if I could get a job with this tour, what do I need to do today? And I don't try to like network and over talk. I just try to do a good job. And then when they start asking me questions about what I've done, then I'll be like, oh, well, I do this and that and this. And sometimes it'll make a connection. But um, most of the time it's just working with other people that I've already worked with, and it's all on the production side, more so to get the job, not really on the other side, contrary. Right, but do you have a, an instance where like, you look at your calendar and you're like, oh, two months from now, I have three weeks with nothing, I need to call somebody? Yeah, um, at that point, I'll pretty much reach out to like everyone that I haven't been hitting up too much and say, hey, how are you? Miss you, um, here's my resume, by the way. <laughs> It was so good to see you on St. Claude the other night. Yeah. You got a gig? Yeah. yeah. What, what do you have? Um, it's also, it was really tough at first because it is, working, working at the festivals, you spend so much time with these people. And they, they're some of my very close friends are people I've met at festivals because it's like you're in there for one to two weeks, maybe longer, working 10 to 20 hour days all together. And so you build these relationships and so it's weird to hit people up and say, I need work. Or for, for me, it felt weird. Um, and so now I'm at the point where I'll just text my friends in Austin and say, hey, South by Southwest is coming up, let me know if you hear of anything. And so it's just kind of like dropping little seeds like that and just kind of keeping yourself relevant. So 
we, and I'm, I'm going to set you up for a conversation that we actually had the other night um, hanging out outside of work. Um, you've been keeping busy. You're only a couple years out of school. To me, I hear you tell stories. I'm like, oh, it sounds like Hannah's being really successful. Do you feel like successful music industry person? And I ask this to set you all up on how we look at how we judge ourselves in terms of being successful or not or whatever. So how do you feel? Like when you wake up, do you like, oh, I'm rocking this? I do not. <laughs> I mean, what goes through your mind when you're going to work? Um, I mean, as it relates to, you know, how you feel about how your career is going. Yeah. I mean, right now I feel great. Like, I'm, I'm very busy, you know. Um, it's, it's been good, but I did have most of January off, and so that was tough. But that's how it is, unless you're doing, like, the Cloud Nine cruises or whatever Mexico thing. Um, it's just a slow season, and it's hard to be aware of that. Um, and around that time, I always start applying to jobs that I don't want, and I'll, sometimes I'll get interviews, and I had uh, one interview, and I kept, I just couldn't convince them that I wanted the job, you know? Because you didn't, really? Because I did not. They were like, it's a desk job, You'll never, you're not going to be on site, we know that you like to be on site, the longest contract you've ever had is three months, how can you, like, how do you know you're not going to get bored of this? And I just, I don't know what I said, but it did not convince them. <laughs> you said, I don't know. If yeah, I'm I was gonna... like, well, I, uh, maybe. I'm, years ago, I moved to Atlanta briefly following a woman. It was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, not following a woman somewhere. Following that woman to Atlanta at that time was a bad idea for me. That's, sorry, I didn't mean that to sound wrong. Anyway, so my rule, my thing was when I got there, it was like, okay, I got to get a job. Like, I have two weeks to get a job. If two weeks go by, I'm just going to get a job at Burger King or something. Like, I have to make some money. Um, and so I got an interview for, like, a cell phone sales job. And this was also in, like, 1994. Like, only crazy rich people had. So it might not even been cell phones. It might have been, like, landline phones. It was some sort of sales job. And uh, on the phone interview, the, the lady asked me, well, why do you want this job? And I'm like, I need a job. I, I want to make some money. And she said, well, what makes me, you know, why should I hire you? And I'm like, because you're selling things. It's about making money. Like, we have the same goal. But she was really looking for someone who just, like, apparently loved telephone systems or something. And I was like, no, I'm a trombone player, but I will sell your telephone systems because you're going to pay me. And that was not the right answer either. Uh, <laughs> So the, the, I find one of the things that's interesting in our industry is the idea of self-image. We get into this, like, how we feel about ourselves based on what we're doing. I had that as a young musician. When I was playing cool gigs, I felt great. And then when I was playing, like, with really mediocre cover bands on Bad Weddings, I felt like I was a failure. And getting to that point of understanding that my worth as a human was not directly related to the gig I had that night was really kind of some difficult mental gymnastics. Do you find, I mean, we've talked about this a little, so yeah. I know you've played some of that game. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that's a common thing, the people you talk to, the people you work with? It, it definitely depends because there are some egos there and I'm like, you literally have that job, how are, is your head so big, you know? Um, but it definitely, I guess the, the thing I try to keep telling myself is I'm, I don't have any other part-time jobs that are not like music industry or entertainment related. And that's how I like keep myself moving. Um, but I definitely feel like 
even some of the people that I thought were the most successful ever, and I've learned so much stuff from them, are still in the same boat with me. They're, they're struggling to find what they want to do. They feel like, because I mean, the festival circuit is exhausting. Um, and there, there is payoff in the fact that you're, you can look around and see what you've done, but there's often not that much credit given to you. Um, and so I have a lot of friends who are now stepping back and trying to say, okay, what gigs do I really want to take that will make me feel good and make me continue to love what I'm doing? I think that's an important thing to, to keep in touch with. Um, so when you do a, a tour, say, as a, a production assistant, production, what was the? Yeah, the production assistant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or doing merch. So how many crew are touring on those tours? So say you've got a band. I don't know whether there's six or eight people in the band or whatever. How many non-musicians are on that tour? Or a, just an example. Um, it's... Probably like four to six people. How many of those people are women? Um, one of them, three out of four was women. were women. But everywhere we would go, they would say, oh, is this an all-girl band? We'd say, no, it's actually all guys. It's all-guy <laughs> band. It's just all-girl crew. That's why it works yeah. so well. But on the, on the tour I'm with consistently. True. I didn't mean the band part. I meant the crew part. Mm -hmm. That was, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, See, I, but, I told yeah. somebody that I would say something stupid mm -hmm. today. I knew that's that what good. was going to happen. That was happen. good. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm the only woman on the majority of the crews. Uh, one, one tour I went on, and they were like, oh, well, this is, this is going to be great. Our opener's a female. And I was like, fabulous. It's weird interview talk. Um, and then they said, yeah, do you speak Spanish? Which I do not speak Spanish. So it was me and the only other girl on tour trying to communicate with a huge language barrier. We're great friends, but I'm not sure if we actually have the stuff in common that we think we do. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's good, but your sign language got yeah, a lot better. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so has that been an issue, being one of the only woman, women on some of these buses and some of these settings? It, it definitely has, yeah. Um, sometimes not at all, and it's like I have like six brothers with me, you know, that are just like looking out for me. And like, I've, I've had like one time, one of our bus drivers said something very inappropriate to me and our production manager got so mad. And then the tour manager found out and they're like, we're gonna go say something right now. And I was like, guys, it's okay, it's fine. Like I'm over it, it's not a big deal. But then there's other situations where some of those same people are doing what I don't want them to do. <laughs> Is, so when you're on a bus with these people and, and you get in an uncomfortable situation, like what are your recourse? Like what can you do? Um, hide, honestly. It's very, it's very, very uncomfortable. Um, I've had, I like was sexually harassed. Yeah, you can totally say that. Is it? Tell the story. You know, okay, I was, I was. I mean, if you want to say the dude's name, it'll be on the internet. I Everybody won't say will his find name, out. I guess. Um, I was uh, actually sexually harassed by my like production manager for a um, almost two month tour, and it was horrible. Um, it got to the point where I wouldn't, I wasn't putting up with what he was doing anymore. Um, so I just wouldn't talk to him, and he would come up to me and he would walk behind the merch table, and he would try to 
say stuff to just like push my buttons because he knew me pretty pretty well because I mean we were we were friends first um and then he would tell me he I was his little sister and then it would turn into but you know I have a crush on you and I would say you're that's a little gross if you have a crush on your little sister I know right um but so it got to the point where um we just wouldn't talk and anytime he was on part like in the front lounge of the bus I would go to the back lounge or if I couldn't get away from him I would just sit in the jump seat with the bus driver up front and wait until he went to bed and then I'd go get in my bunk so in an ideal world what would make that easier for our our women colleagues to deal with what what sort of things do you think we need to put in place to prevent that? Because I feel like some of the the reason this happens is people get in position where the boss is a dude and the the person who's making someone uncomfortable is a dude, and everybody feels like okay, I can't really say anything because they're like buds, and I'm the expendable person in this sort of scenario. Like it's easy to find somebody else to do my job or easier. So. And I, I know I'm I know I'm putting you on the spot. I'm not asking you to like devise the mechanism to fix the entire music industry. But like what would be a thing that would have made that better for you? Like some anonymous way to talk to someone or so like I, I wanna know I mean, because I have some responsibility here. We're not on tour, but I like have something to run this department. What do I need to do to make sure that people feel comfortable being able to come talk to me if weird stuff's going on? Well, I mean, you're a pretty welcoming person overall. I mean, you were my advisor freshman year, and that was great. I'm pretty sure I just told you I withdrew from a class for like virtually no reason, and you're like, okay, if it was that bad, that it was that bad, you know? Like, you're. She still graduated in seven semesters, by yeah. the way. Just saying. <laughs> it was just one class, um, but I, I mean, I think that there's just an issue with like the. It's like everybody just like sexualizes women, you know? And so it's just a total mindset change. I think that's this, I mean, that person was very old school overall. Um, and I think that there is definitely a change happening now where people, if you kind of snap them out of it, they'll wake up and realize what they're doing. But, oh, okay. Um, so the, I was at a, I was working at a festival as an artist liaison, um, and my bands were showing up, and I was trying to figure out which of them needed to crossload. Which is sorry if I'm over explaining, but it's when you get your take the gear from the truck truck that it comes in or the tour bus, whatever, put it in a different truck, and then they bring it to the stage. And so I was trying to figure out who was our crossload captain and how many people of my bands um, were gonna need to crossload. So I walked up on deck and somebody walked up to me, one of the stagehands that I knew, and he was like, uh, excuse me, man, you're distracting my stagehands. And I said, um, pardon me? And I just said, uh, okay, I'm, I'm looking for, are you the crew chief? I need to find the crew chief or the crossload captain. I, I don't know how many of my uh, bands, you know, explain my situation, and he said, I can be anything you want me to be, I can be whatever you need, and I was like, but are you the crew chief? Like, that's not answering my question. And so he keeps doing that, whatever, and so I just, like, looked down at my phone to text my tour managers back and figure out who was arriving when, 
And he says to me, why don't you smile? And I, yeah, yeah. And so I, uh, right then it was like every option that I could, every kind of response went through my head. And I was like, well, it's 10 a.m. I don't think that's a good way to start the day if I freaked out. So I just looked at my phone, took a deep breath, and I said, why should I smile? And he said, you are absolutely right. Um, this is the crew chief. This is his name. He's going to be here at this time. And let us know if you need anything else until then. And then he went away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just have to remind us that we're being that dude. Um, <laughs> It was, I was having a conversation with a friend uh, the other night. She was telling me how she was going to the Louis C.K. show uh, concert the other night. And I was like, is it safe to do that? Can you do that yet? And, and we, which led to this conversation about like sort of workplace harassment and whatever. And she oddly was taking the side where she was sort of defending the Louis C.K. position. And I eventually got to a point, I'm like, is it really that hard to just think like, there are so many women in the world that you don't work with. Can you limit the pool of people you want to have sex with to the women who aren't at work? Like, it's really not that hard. Like, really, there's a lot of people in the world so who are many. not at work. I mean, and, and oddly, my friend, like, didn't get it. She's like, but if that girl was a good PA, then she could have worked for somebody else. I'm like, but she doesn't have to. Like, it's just, it was just weird to me. Anyway, so as a general rule, dudes, like... I know you, you like to have sex, we all do, because we're dudes. Just do it with people who you don't work with. Right, is that cool? Can we all be cool with that? that would should, that make the rule work? It would, and that should go for ladies also, just an FYI. <laughs> yeah, the guys might not complain, but stuff gets weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, now that I've completely made the whole room uncomfortable, um, <laughs> Which was part of my goal for the evening. I told someone that I would, would either start preaching or say something that might get me fired. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, Bree, can we get like sort of half lights in the house, or well, all of yeah, the lights, all that's lights. okay too? Perfect. Um, th does anybody have, I'd like to go a little bit um, discussion style here, so if we can keep it to one conversation. Does anybody have questions for Hannah, or if you just have something you really want to dig in on the like not sleeping with people at work thing, that's okay too. I did, I did develop a network um, while I was in school. I was almost working full time, like my end of second semester junior year to my last semester. Um, however, like I was saying, January is tough and the beginning of the year is tough. And so right when I finished, it was like all my friends were still in school and like, woo, like whatever, senior year. And I was like spending 12 hours a day on my computer at coffee shops, like trying to find every job and looking everywhere that I could. And it's tough, but you just have to bug everyone. And like you, you, I mean, you can be too annoying, but like you can kind of gauge that, you know, like send like one email and a follow up. And if they don't respond, then, then let it go. But it's gonna take, it takes work and it takes building. And I didn't get as busy, like I, this is all still fairly new to me, being as busy as I am right now. And one key to freelancing coming from the musician freelancing side is you have to live off the slow month budget every month, right? So if you're freelancing, I remember, I mean, this was 25 years ago when I moved back to town, got off the cruise ships. I figured out with what my rent was, I needed to make $1,000 a month playing the trombone 
to like make my thing work. Well, some months I would make $1,500 or $2,000, and some months I would make $700. And I had to live every month like it was a $700 month, because I never knew when one of those was gonna come back. And it sort of sucks to like have all this money and not spend it, but it allows you to be comfortable with the ebb and flow of how the freelance thing works. Because when you have that great month, if you blow all that money, and it, like it, it builds in, for me, I'm like a little financially risk averse. Um, so it's sort of built in some comfort of like, okay, I know I have some money in the bank. And I did hit a couple of points where that money in the bank was $3, but I had a gig the next night, so I knew I could like buy groceries. But um, And also, when you're freelance, nobody takes your taxes out for the most part. So you have to constantly be mindful of that. Just a different financial thing. Yes, the, the lovely 1099 oh, world. I can't wait, coming up. It is coming yeah, very I'm soon. I'm really excited. <laughs> Other thought, yeah, Abby. Yeah, festivals are exhausting. And I mean, if I could keep doing kind of what I'm doing, I, I would much prefer that. I do, I, I love traveling, but I was, I mean, I, I was telling them earlier, I came, I was gone for two months. I was here for 12 days. I moved my stuff into a new house and then I left for two months and just gritted my teeth every time I set my rent in, you know? Um, so I, I would like to continue doing half of the year out of town and then half of the year in town with more consistent events. Um, and then just, I, it's really hard to tell, you know, because there is a festival bubble that has been formed and is popping. And I much prefer to work for the independent festivals but that's just not that feasible anymore because most of them are owned by AEG or Live Nation. Um, and when they're owned by a big corporation, they tend to pay less. And if I can't get my travel covered out there, then I'd just rather do something in town and make less money, but it's kind of like not as exhausting for me. Like it's, it's not as emotionally straining. And I also, the money difference isn't that much after I factor in my expenses, so. And the fact that you're at your house. You can eat your oh, own groceries. Yeah. You can do, you know. Yeah, the, not being able to buy your own groceries is awful. And, like, even on a tour bus, like, we have a fridge, but I don't have that much time to cook because it's like I, we roll to the, whatever city we're in. I wake up, I go do the show, I work until bus call, and then I get back on the bus. So, um, yeah. Um, well... One thing I think that is successful, and this isn't so much as items, but for displays, um, but it is, it's an expensive thing, is the uh, pop-ups. I don't know if you've seen those, but it's like, it'll be just like a big logo, and then you can hang your shirts on that. And display-wise, it looks really good, and it draws more attention, because what is it, like 33% of buys are impulse buys. Um, and so if you can just get somebody's attention. But um, people love, like, signed albums. Um, out, like albums have been sometimes they sell better depending on the crowd more than better than CDs um, because more people have turntables than CD players in a lot of places especially on the west coast that's such a weird sequence mm -hmm. of words to hear next to each right? other <laughs> um, but yeah I mean a lot of people what's, do what's the weirdest piece of merch you've sold I don't know most of, most of everything has been pretty cool um, I always think that signed drumsticks are weird. 
I don't know why. I know that some people like that, but I haven't, I haven't had anything that weird. I did sell somebody, I ran out of posters, or we sold out of posters, and so I sold somebody the most scratched up record I've ever seen in my life. I said, I'll, I'll sell it to you for like five or $10 less, um, and you can frame it, and the guy agreed. Oh, so it was like the display record or whatever? Mm -hmm. That's oh, funny. no, this is the weirdest one. It was raining um, at this show, like, really bad. And this woman came up and she was like, do you have pants and underwear? And I was like, like, with me? Like, oh, for sale? No, I do not. Um, and she was like, I just can't live in these clothes anymore. And she was fairly petite. And I said, all right, well, this shirt, I can, it's a 2X. I'll rip it into a dress for you if you want. And she said, okay. And so I ripped the neck. She went to the bathroom and came back out wearing like a strapless dress. <laughs> so like a strapless, was it a galactic dress? Was it that? Uh, it, was, it was the Preservation Hall black with the white logo. Oh, okay, uh -huh. nice. That's yeah. a new fashion style, thanks. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tucked the sleeves in, it was pretty cute. She had a hat on. There you go. Shirt dresses, that's your <laughs> next thing, Joe. Um, I should have an LLC, um, especially with the new tax plan because I uh, had a bunch of receipts, but I can no longer put my expenses in there. And so I dramatically threw like a huge bag of receipts away right when the new tax plan came through. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but so it's basically just um, some people do like multiple um, bank accounts. And I just put it all, I just have my savings in my regular checking. And so I'll just move like a little bit from each check over there. Um, and I just try not to touch that at all ever. But um, there's different um, there's different apps that you can use also that will take it out for you. It's just a, it's just a lot more work, and you're going to end up like H and R Block and TurboTax do it for free for you, but not if you have 1099. So you end up having to pay. Um, so it's just like another expense that you have to factor in and just kind of be mindful of because you'll get your check and you'll be like, oh my god, like $3,500, sick. But it's actually like $3,000, you know? Or $2,750. Yep. <clears throat> Depending on what state. Woo, California. <laughs> <laughs> Having some W-2 work helps, right? Like my situation, I have, I get several W-2s and a bunch of 1099s. And if I plan it right, I can get the withholding to add up to like sort of balancing things out where I don't owe too much. Yeah, one time I one time I broke even, and that was like the coolest thing ever. It was like my return equaled exactly what I owed, but that's winning. I didn't. Yeah, I, yeah, it wasn't. I didn't have a lot of work that year though. So. <laughs> I I love that Hannah's now become our tax expert. <laughs> kind of. I mean, because you're not going to hang on to them if they don't pay as much. And some of my favorite festivals ever don't pay me very much, and there's like one shower for like 17 people. Um, but it's worth it at the end of the day because it has like that special place and that's kind of what keeps you going because um, every single job is not gonna be cool, you know? People are like, oh, that's so cool that you do these things. And like a couple of them are cool, but it's actually like some of the cooler stuff is when I have like a very small, not relevant position and I get to go and like, look at stuff more rather than like being in an office hacking all day. That's an interesting point of as freelancers, as we make decisions about the things we do, 
what are the values that we're, we're privileging? Is it just about the money or about the quality of the work or things? I play a lot of music for very small amounts of money that's music that I enjoy that I feel like is an artistic expression. And I play a lot of music for large amounts of money that is music that somebody needs to hear and they will pay me to play. Um, you know, so finding that balance of, of why you, you choose those things um, can, can be an important part about being happy and also being successful with that to some extent. Um, there was a story I heard about a composer who was, was approached by a, a percussion ensemble, and he was a, a fairly famous composer, and they asked him to write a piece for them. This was a new up-and-coming chamber group. And he said, and they only had a small amount of money. He said, yes, I will write you a 45-minute piece for that amount of money. And they were like, oh, that's, that's really long. We were, he said, yeah, but you can't afford a 10-minute piece. If you want me to write you something short, it's very expensive. But if I write you a long piece, I know you will work on it and you'll play it well and it will get programmed. So the composer had figured out that the thing that he really valued more than the money of the commission was having the chance to write a large-scale piece that would get played often. So he found a way to create a situation where, okay, I'll write this piece for these unknown people for kind of cheap, but it's going to be big and I know they'll play it. Right. So finding the ways to figure out what you really want out of the situation, and then set it up to get that. And if that thing is simply money, then you gotta go work for certain people in certain ways. But if the thing is a team that you like working with, then maybe you make different decisions. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's like, what, what connections am I gonna make a lot of the time by doing something where I'm gonna end up not maybe walking out with $100 after working for a week? Um, but if the connections are going to lead to more festivals, well, I'll end up making actual money, then it's worth it. Bike night at the art garage. Oh, it's yeah, bike be. night. Honestly, like during Mid-City Masquerade with Mike, I don't know if any of y'all were here for that, but that was probably my favorite one just because it was like all of our friends and it was cool. Cool. There you have it. Work with your friends. How about a big hand for Hannah Craker?